Well, that is a very special part of our story here this year in our church, and I want to uh, acknowledge some special people who've been a part of this project. Uh, Those that were involved in the construction include uh, the George Van Layton Carpentry, Lambert Concrete, M&M Roofing, Fred's Painting, and uh, Core Construction was involved in a coordinative role, and we're very thankful for, uh, for their part in it. And uh, that's quite a house. <laughs> and we are delighted that that can stand there as a reminder to the family of our support for them. And of course, I wanna thank uh, those of you that gave. Uh, we established the fund, we said, hey, if you'd like to give, please do and we had $134,000 that came in from our church to this fund. And so we used the money to build that, but we continue to have monies for the future and other families who maybe face similar situations. And so with that, I also wanna give you uh, an update on Joseph. So we filmed this earlier this week, and uh, late this week they had a a medical development, and uh, Joseph was very quickly taken in for another brain surgery. This was Friday, and uh, he came through it well, and the family continues to do everything they can to mitigate uh, this cancer, and uh, they would certainly covet our prayers. And so I'd like to just pray for Joseph, little Joseph right now, who is recovering. Would you join with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the gift that Joseph has been to the Kloostermans, and really through his story to all of us. And today, Lord, we pray for uh, little Joseph and Nate and Marcy and their family. We pray that you would sustain them. We ask that you would please uh, bring Joseph to full recovery. And we ask that this would happen soon. Uh, Father, as we continue to uh, pray for them and support them, we ask that your every mercy and grace would be theirs. And indeed, that their ongoing hope would be in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in uh, resurrection life. We thank you for that hope, and we thank you for Joseph, and we pray for the Kloostermans in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Well, since we're kind of talking about a tender pastoral um, moment, I would like to take you into another tender pastoral moment, and I share this story with the family's permission. Uh, It was Tuesday, October 5th, okay, so basically one month ago, that I received a call from one of our dear members, Andy Mulder. It was in the morning, he called me, He was overwhelmed with uh, emotion and grief, and he said that my dad, Mark, just died. And he died driving a semi on I-94, most likely of a heart attack. And uh, you can imagine how that call went. So I was shocked as well, everybody was shocked. And uh, some hours later that afternoon, Pastor Gary, Pastor Dustin, and I drove out to the Mulder family home where family and close friends had already gathered there. 
And that scene, if you've ever been in a, in a moment like that, you never forget it. Uh, and it was a potent scene of like grief and, and, uh, and gospel and hope and grief and just sort of revolving around those uh, realities. There they are. And we sat down at the kitchen table and the family began to tell stories about Mark. So Mark, Mark uh, died 60 years old. Um, if, if you knew Mark, it's hard not to know Mark. He was big guy, larger than life, worked the commons like a pastor, uh, and just such a wonderful, wonderful member of our church. Uh, they started sharing stories about, about Mark and told the stories in a moment like that that mattered to them. And I shared a story at the kitchen table. I said, you know, just last week I was... Uh, I had lunch with Bill and Christina Widdup. Now, Bill and Christina Widdup are missionaries that we've supported for a very long time. They're missionaries to Vanuatu, which is this little island uh, in the South Pacific, basically on the other side of the world. And I shared with them that at the lunch, Bill and Christina had told me that, uh, and they're, they're wanting to get back there. COVID has kind of messed up those plans, but they're very eager to get back. And that they've been packing their container. Okay, so... When they go back, they get one of these big containers and they pack everything that they're gonna need for three years and they, and they send it on. Uh, well, if you haven't heard, there's a little bit of a backup uh, <laughs> off the coast of California and container, containers aren't doing so well right now. And so I asked them, well, what, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna get, you know, with this mess internationally, how are you gonna get your container to Vanuatu? And they said, Mark Mulder is going to drive our container to New York Harbor so that it can go the other way, apparently around, around the world. And I shared that story at that kitchen table. And Tammy, his wife, says, yep, that's right, he even bought a special trailer to haul it. And now the story becomes more remarkable because I look at that and I think, okay, uh, you know, the drive to New York City is one thing. To drive a semi with a container to New York City is a whole nother thing. But then in addition to that, to find out that in a, a remarkable generosity of spirit, he bought a semi-trailer. And I have no idea what semi-trailers go for. I just know they're not cheap. But on his own, he bought the trailer so he could haul the container to help the missionaries get to Vanuatu. Hours after Mark Mulder has gone to heaven, what lives on about him? It is his large-hearted, generous self-giving. And if I might ask you, Friend, gently right now, hours after you're dead, what stories will your family and friends be talking about? And the Kloosterman story and the Mulder story provide really a perfect introduction to what I want to talk with our church family about today, and that is the generous life. Here we are in our Habits of Grace series, and uh, 
These are things that we are, you know, how can, I, how can I get in the stream of God's grace? How can the word of God and prayer and corporate gathering and, and service and all these other things we've been talking about place me in the stream of God's grace in my life that I might be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ, that I might be changed as God's will and plan is for me? And today we're talking about generosity. And you might say, well, how is generosity a means of grace and godliness in my life? I'm so glad you asked. And uh, today we are in Acts 20. I would ask you to turn to Acts 20. And we are looking at a portion of a long farewell speech that the Apostle Paul gave to the Ephesian elders. This church at Ephesus, very significant city, Ephesus, very significant city in its day. And the church of, at Ephesus was one of the famous churches of Asia Minor. I mean, it's, it's one of the top seven, if you will, that Jesus uh, speaks into in, in Revelation 2 and 3, planted by, by Paul, pastored by the Apostle John and, and Timothy. I mean, this is a very illustrious sort of, uh, sort of church. And Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem, and he, and he kind of does a quick slide by to say hi and to talk with the elders of the church. And it's a long speech. We're not going to read all of it. Uh, we are going to jump in now, and uh, we, we jump in, and I didn't write the verse down. It begins with pay careful attention, so scan it and you'll get to it. I, I can't see it right here uh, so easily. I have it in front of me. Uh, what was that? 28. Verse 28, and the godly sit in the first two rows of the church. <laughs> Thank you. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, that's another word for elders, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard, in this way, we may help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Amen. So Paul here, uh, this is the power of testimony. He, he knows these men, he spent three years with them, and he simply says, you remember the kind of person that I was, and you remember the kind of ministry that I had there, how I, I worked hard amongst you, and I, I'm urging you to follow my example. Work hard, care for the poor and the weak. And our focus today is on this little phrase, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And note that he says, as Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now you might be thinking to yourself, okay, I've read the Gospels, I 
don't remember Jesus saying that. And you would be exactly right. It's one of the noteworthy things about this quote of Jesus is that there's no footnote. Like we have no reference for where in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John Jesus might have said that, or anywhere else recorded in Scripture, there's nowhere that it says that Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. But we remember that the Apostle Paul here, who didn't personally spend time with Jesus, spent gobs of time with the disciples. Uh, Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, and all the rest, maybe one of them said, you know one of the things that Jesus said to me that stands out to me, he said it is more blessed to to give than to receive. Or maybe even Jesus' mother could have told him that. Who knows? But uh, we can be very confident that when Paul says, as Jesus said, that he would have this as a first person, first, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He, it, it's, it's highly trustworthy that, that Jesus actually said this. And in part, it's because it sounds so much like what everything else Jesus said. I mean, isn't Jesus' pattern to basically take the common way of thinking about something and then going, whoop, like that, and turning it on its head? So to hear Jesus teach was to regularly be going, what did he just say? So for example, love your enemies. You can imagine the people listening going, did he just say love your enemies? Right? We don't love our enemies, we hate our enemies. He said to love our enemies. But that's the way that Jesus, his teaching, he would take the common human way of looking at things and turn it on its head. It's one of the, I mean, 2,000 years later, we still study his teaching. We're like, this is so radical. And indeed, this statement sounds a lot like the things that Jesus said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So let's just take this apart, okay? It is more blessed that word is the same word that we find throughout the Bible, especially, for example, the, what we call the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, etc. That repetition of bless, 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 the word means, uh, in a, it means happy, joyful, glad-hearted. I wouldn't try to spiritualize this too much uh, or to somehow see it as being only in the future. Like the people that that their lives are noted for generosity someday will be happy that they were generous. No, it's not blessed. uh, uh, um, It will be more blessed to give than to receive. It says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Present tense right now, generosity has a life-giving, happiness-instilling thing to it that is far better than what we get out of receiving. To give than to receive. And this is a countercultural uh, concept as well. Um, I probably don't have to tell you that our society is uh, largely built upon a proverb that would go like this It is more blessed to receive than to give. And if you question that, Uh, Just watch the uh, free sample handouts line at Costco sometime. (laughs) Watch the vultures descend upon the, uh, the table. You try to jump that line, it's the last day of your life. (laughs) People do not appreciate uh, anyone trying to cut in line. Not at Costco, no. Why? Because this is free stuff. 
okay? And I wanna get the most out of the free stuff. You say free to human beings and you'll gather a crowd, okay? You will gather a crowd. An example that stands out in my own life of this, when I was in seminary, for uh, one semester I attended a seminary in Phoenix, Arizona, and while I was there, um, an airline, I think it was America West, which doesn't exist anymore, but back then it was a big airline, they had a promotion that they ran that if you showed up at the airport there in Phoenix, they would give you two free passes for any round trip anywhere you wanted to go. But it had to be like this one day from this time to the, like you know, nine to 11, you had to show up and they would give you the two free passes. Well, you know, I was in seminary, dirt poor, and uh, my parents, I think, were having their 25th wedding anniversary, and, and I think this was part of our plan to send them somewhere. I'll get the free airlines, and you know, because all us kids were in school, we didn't have anything. So I drove to the Phoenix airport to get the two free passes that America West was offering, and as I was even getting within a couple miles of the airport, there was a traffic jam. I ended up having to park, I don't even know how far, mile or two away from the airport and hoof it all the way, such is my love for my parents, hoof it all the way (laughs) to the airport. And there were people everywhere. That airport has multiple levels to it. Every level was a line that snaked throughout all the concourses. I read in the paper the next day, they estimated 100,000 people showed up for the free Airline passes. What do we say about that? Apparently, Arizonians love free stuff. And seminarians do as well, uh, by the way. And you just say free and people show up. People are happy when they are receiving things. At least this is the way that we often uh, think about it. And that's why this teaching of Jesus is really a hard sell. And I know full well that as I talk about this today, some of you are kind of like, I don't believe it. Because we love receiving so much. Like, we take such delight in, in receiving something, especially if it is without sacrifice, without cost to us. So Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive, and we kind of will be like, yeah, because it sounds noble to us. But in our hearts, do we really take it seriously? And what I wanna say today is that this habit of grace, of generosity, is the intentional pursuit of happiness by giving of myself and what I have to others, to the glory of God, and for my own personal meaning and gratification. That this is the best life we can live is the generous life. And to that end, looking at this one verse, I have five ways that giving and generosity is better than receiving, okay? So here's number one. Giving is a three-way blessing. Giving is a three-way blessing. And I read this somewhere, probably Randy Alcorn, because he writes so wonderfully on these things. I went back to try to figure out where I read it. I couldn't find it. But it's a great point. You say this. You say, you know, I'm totally blessed when I receive. Like Christmas or some other occasion. When I get things, I love opening gifts. You know, you might even say, I have the gift of receiving. This is my, my happiness. And you know what, I will grant the point that there is a dopamine hit 
that we all receive when we, something is provided to us, okay? But if you've been around the block a few times, you know that that dopamine hit, that little goosebump, the bell curve of pleasure in it doesn't last very long. Have you heard of the phrase hedonic adaptation? Okay, hedonic adaptation. This is a principle similar to the law of diminishing returns. And hedonic adaptation comes from the, the word hedonist. Okay, so hedonic, hedonist adaptation. And basically what it says is that when we, when we get something, maybe it's something we buy, maybe it's something somebody gives to us, whatever, that there is a, the way that the human heart is wired, there is an adaptation that we make to having this now as a part of my life where very quickly it normalizes to us. The little goosebump goes away. So, for example, the, uh, the salary increase maybe that you got last year that originally you are like, oh, quickly normalizes and becomes the new baseline of expectation. Or the, uh, the, the cottage that you bought at the lake that uh, was super exciting, you know, the first year, everything was new about it. The excitement wears off, okay? And for that cottage, the monthly lease payment continues on. And they have to mow it and care for it and what happens during the snowstorm. And slowly over time, these things become a burden rather than a blessing. As they say, the two best days of owning a boat. The day you buy it, and the day you sell it, okay? Now, we laugh at that, but there is a truth to it that if we apply it to what Jesus is saying, I'm convinced would be transforming for many of us, okay? If we really believe, or if our, even our experience of receiving and accumulating, indeed even hoarding, when these things are given to us and we identify in them a fleeting blessing, might it be because of what Jesus is talking about here? And what he is saying is that that generosity and giving of myself provides a blessing that is not fleeting but is enduring and lasting. Because when I, when I am generous uh, to somebody or to the Lord's work, there is a three-way blessing that comes with it. I'm blessed by it. The other person or the ministry is blessed by it. And God is blessed by it. Let's talk about these in reverse order. How is God blessed in our generosity? Well, for one thing, everything is his anyway. You realize that, right? When I, when I am being generous with myself, my time, my money, my possessions, whatever, I am actually being generous with what is his. And God is blessed, indeed, when we are using his things in his kingdom for his glory. He takes delight in that. God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, so when we live a generous life, it's a three-way blessing. God is blessed by it. Secondly, the person who we are blessing is blessed by it. Now there is that principle of receiving. There is a dopamine blessing that comes to that person. And, uh, and you never forget it. If I could continue my dirt poor seminary days as another uh, illustration, 
So this week, I was briefly in Hudsonville, Michigan, and it uh, reminded me of while I was, I, I went to two seminaries, and the second seminary I went to was in Grand Rapids, and so I lived in Hudsonville, and while I was in Hudsonville, I worked as an, a youth intern at Grace Community Church in Hudsonville, and while I was there, I became close with this young couple, and this was a young couple, they were just kind of getting going in life, a uh, few years older than me, and we, you know, we'd hang out, and we had fun, and blah, 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 so one, one night, they had me over to their house for dinner. We had dinner, we get done. They said, we have something for you. And they handed me an envelope. And I opened the envelope and I pulled out cash and I started counting the cash. I counted all the way up to $600 that they gave me and they said, this is just money for you getting going in life and ministry. We wanted to bless you. That was 30 years ago. I was in Hudsonville this week. I'm still thinking about it. It was such a blessing to me at that time of my life and everything, and I knew for them it was a sacrifice. And that's the power of, of blessing other people is that it's, it, it, it blesses them and it continues to bless them. The memory of it and the example of it and the power of it continues as a blessing. I will not forget that couple as one example. So three-way blessing, God, the other person, the ministry, and thirdly, and this is the focus of what Jesus is getting at, is me, okay? It is a blessing to me when I give of myself to others. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Here is a promise from the one who made us and knows that we are wired for deriving blessing and meaning and purpose by giving of ourselves more than receiving. Think of the contemplations, for example, of God as he was forming Adam out of the dust of the, of the ground there in, in, uh, in Genesis 2. It says, let us make man in our own image. And if I might just speculate a little bit about the contemplations between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit as they considered what kind of being are we making here? Might the Godhead have said something like this? To make sure the human race enjoys life as much as we do, let's put in the DNA that Adam derives more personal satisfaction when he sacrifices himself for others than when he doesn't. And maybe the Father said that and the, and, and the Spirit said, excellent, let's do it. And so when they wired and made human beings they built into our, I'm just saying DNA, spiritual DNA, human identity DNA, this undeniable reality that there is better that comes in the giving of ourselves. And ever since creation, we have been this way. Now, sin enters into the world, and with sin comes this selfishness, where now we tend to think to ourselves that it's more blessed to receive than to give, and pride and sin push us that direction, but the wiring that God gave us is still down deep within us, and this is what Jesus is trying to you know, bring back to the front in our minds to realize the blessing of giving. He is saying, I know how I wired you when I made you. 
And I wired you to come alive when you give of yourself to others. And that blessing that we receive internally is uh, the third of the three-way blessing. So God is blessed in it, the others are blessed in it, and, and we are blessed in it. Far more than receiving, even though it does give us a dopamine hit, more than receiving could ever provide to us. So the first way that it's better is that it is a three-person blessing versus receiving, which is only a one-person blessing. Secondly, is giving follows the example of the happiest person on earth, or I could say in the universe. And who do I mean? God, okay? God, Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. I could go to many other verses that talk about that, that God is a happy God, that God is a joyous God. Do you know that it's great to be God? He enjoys it. He loves being God. And there is a gladness within the Godhead that I think many people don't have in their kind of understanding of, of who God is. You know, the emoji of God, we look up, we think he's stern or he's frowning. He is smiling, okay? Our God is a happy God. Sometimes we take this to mean that, and I need to read this because it's, it's uh, uh, I just need to read this. This gladness we wrongly take as a vice, like a YouTube influencer whose success seems to fuel more selfishness. In God's case, his joy fuels more self-giving. The gladder he gets in, in his generosity and giving, the more giving he does. And he, it fuels further and further self-giving, which is the essence of what love is. He does that to us. He does it to creation. He sustains the universe by the power of his might. And he does it within the Godhead. I don't have time, but if we had time, we could go to John 11. Do it later. Read Jesus' personal testimony of why he's doing what he's doing, which was largely to bring pleasure to his heavenly Father. And to realize within the Godhead, there is this self-giving and, and seeking the joy of the other. They're constantly giving of themselves to others and, thankfully, to us. So, when we are generous and meet the needs of others, we are following the example of the happiest being in all the universe. We're following the example of God himself. And by doing that, we taste a similar joy that God himself has. By the way, when we don't do that, we are also following an example, but it's the most miserable being in all of the universe. Do you know who that is? This would be Satan. Satan is utterly self-focused. He is utterly about receiving and taking. Indeed, he wanted to take the glory of God himself, and this pride amplifies his misery and has for generations, and his demons prove that misery loves company, okay? So Satan, he's all about receiving, most miserable being in all the universe. God, all about giving, happiest being in all the universe. Two ways to live, which one are you on? Might that explain a little misery in the room today? We just need to get over ourselves and live for others. It's a huge blessing. 
All right, so third now. It's a three-way blessing. It follows the example of the happiest person in the universe. Third, generosity models the gospel itself. And this is a repeated theme in the New Testament, that the gospel is God's generosity to us. I'll give you one example, 2 Corinthians 8, verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, knows this, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, poverty here for Jesus was incarnation, suffering, cross, death. This was the impoverishment of the Son of God. So he left the highest place where all rights and privileges were his. He took the lowest place to be a servant to sinners. And by doing that, he, he makes us rich. He gives of himself for our good and our, our blessing. This is the generosity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody doing that around here? Now, we're doing it on some level, probably, but we are inspired by the example of Jesus because there is none that were higher and there's none that have gone lower than Jesus himself. And so we look at the example of Jesus and the gospel of God's love to sinners like us and we recognize that generosity is built into the fabric of the gospel, that God is a generous God, that we don't deserve this, it is utterly his grace and his mercy to us. And so when we ourselves then are generous in our life, we are, we are modeling that, we're emulating that, we're living out the parable that is the gospel. And it provides for us a deep sense of meaning and purpose. Okay, so there's three reasons. I could stop there, those are all good enough, I got two more actually, but we're gonna take a quick break. Because as I was preparing the message, I was thinking, you know, maybe the people that are listening here could be a little confused and thinking to themselves, like, what is he talking about, generosity? So let me give you some categories of generosity that I'd like for you to begin to sort of contemplate in your own life. How am I living? Am I on the receiving side in this or am I on the giving side of this? So here's some, just for example, time, attention and listening, money and resources, possessions, home, that's the essence of Christian hospitality, for example, conversation, written words, practical needs, service, sacrifice, risk, relationship, friendship, heart, gospel, mission. And I think one way we can give to everybody is just to have a posture of kindness and joy about us and many other things probably that you could, uh, could, could list. But if you look at this list here, do, does anybody here think that if I really gave of myself to others in these categories, that that would be a sure path to unhappiness in my life? No. I think we instinctively know all of these, when we do give them, provide for us a kind of blessing. Or to say it this way, if, if my, my, my bottled water is, is uh, all of these categories, essentially what I'm saying is this, that the world teaches us to be this with everything. Okay? 
And Jesus says, hold it loosely and be ready to give it to others. And when you do, you will be blessed by doing it. And so that's uh, your quick halftime break. On to the second half. You all had an extra hour anyway. In fact, <laughs> in my opinion, this means that I get an extra hour to preach today to you. So that's exciting. You could be generous in applause in a comment like that if you wanted. All right. Number four. Generosity is the antidote to an insignificant life. Proverbs 11, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and, who, and, and one who waters will himself be watered. This is known as a paradox. Okay, a paradox is two truths that seemingly are contradictory, but they're put together, is a paradox. And what Proverbs 11 says here is that you would never guess this, but the person who gives of themselves, the result of that is they themselves are refreshed and perhaps enriched. Like, is the opposite, that's the opposite of how you would think about it. And the person who doesn't give of themselves and hoards and holds, uh, ends up impoverished. That's a paradox, but it's a truth for life. When we give of ourselves to others, there is a kind of economy that God has in the way that the world works, that there, there are things that come to us in the giving that we would never receive in the hoarding and the keeping. And so scripture urges us to give of ourselves to others. Now, this doesn't mean that your, your net worth continues to go up necessarily, but it does mean it's the kind of thing that when you do it, you're glad you did. It could be richness of friendship, richness of opportunities and experience, richness of ministry, the blessing of seeing God work in other people's lives, of being a part of. This is the point I'm making. It, it brings significance to life versus the small-hearted, small-minded person who just tries as much as they can to hold on to everything. This person ends up like the Grinch with a heart two sizes too small. Or the Scrooge who discovers that he has lots of money but nobody likes him. I heard this ironically from a sportscaster. In fact, I think it was Mike Ditka. How's that for a quote? And it's an ironic quote. And I mean nothing by this. But it is an ironic quote because I heard Mike Dicka one time say, and it stuck with me, he said, the smallest package is a man all wrapped up in himself. And that is the paradox that Jesus is getting at here. You want to live a life of significance? You want your life to matter in the end? It is in the giving of ourselves to God, to gospel ministry, to others, indeed even to loving our enemies and things like this, this radical teaching of Jesus that enriches our life and deepens our character and broadens our footprint and our influence in ways that hoarding and keeping and not doing never bring to us. It draws us out of ourselves 
And this is something sinner, as sinners we desperately need. I've got a quote on the back of my door. I can't, it's Latin, I can't remember it exactly, but it's like, invertus say. And I put it on my door because it, it basically means that the human heart is constantly curving in on itself. Left to itself, we just increasingly become more self-oriented. And this is where the gospel reverses that, and by doing that, provides for us life with significance. So that at the end of my life, I think, I did something with my life. My life mattered. If you died today, would there be a sense that your life mattered in the end? It mattered to other people, it mattered to God, it mattered to your family. It is the generous life that ends up mattering. I would imagine if you think about your own life, I've shared two stories, but think about in your own life, who God used to help you become the person that you are today. And I mean that in a positive way. And it, I would dare say every example that comes to your mind is somebody that gave of themselves to you in relationship or whatever in a way they didn't have to. But they did. And that influence in your life has helped you to become the person that you are today. This is what I mean by footprint of life. Give of yourself, make it the max that it can be. Which leads in, this is the fifth reason it's better than receiving, that generosity blesses in this life and forever. Okay? Listen to Matthew 25, verse 21. This is uh, one of the parables, a familiar one, uh, with the, 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 the talents and uh, the evaluation by the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And the sense of this is that God is a rewarder of those who emulate his own generosity and do so for uh, God's glory and I would say for the blessing that is promised here by Jesus. I have a friend with great wealth who is also generous. And he has said, I've heard him say it uh, publicly and, and I believe privately to me, you can't outgive God. That God is nobody's debtor. And when we give of ourselves, and I'm not just talking money, I'm talking about our, just like the broader sense of a generous life. That God enriches us and blesses us And I would just ask the question, what Christian wouldn't want to be generous to God? I mean, if, we're, if you're a Christian here today, you're saying that salvation is by grace. <laughs> I didn't deserve it. It is an act of God's faithful covenantal love towards me. Jesus did so at the tremendous price of his own life on the cross. I mean, you really begin thinking about all the things that to be a Christian that it fundamentally means, it's, it's entirely an example of divine generosity. And so one of the ways that we show that we get the gospel is when we respond to the generosity of God with generosity back to him. And every day we have that opportunity to do it. This week is another week where we have all kinds of opportunities, people that God will bring across our path, opportunities of 
I mean, group this size. Think of all the opportunities for generosity that we have in the coming week. And my urging here is to take seriously the words of Jesus that you are, you'll be more blessed next Sunday than this Sunday by giving of yourself for others and God. Okay? And if you believe that, you're about to be sent out into the week. And I'm urging you to go and to do it. And it's not just in this life. God promises rewards forever for the generosity that we express in this life. And when you add all of that together, I would say that Christians should be the most generous people you'll ever meet. The gospel, the God of the gospel, the Messiah of the gospel, uh, the essence of the truth of the gospel, what it means to be a Christian receiving. I mean, the gospel is very much a receiving thing, right? We receive it, but now as an expression, we give of ourselves. And I, as I, so two quick examples, I started with both of these. In two months, this year is done. When we as a church family look back on 2021, I dare say the Joseph Fund will be one of the most poignant and special parts of the story of our church in 2021. Or think about Mark Mulder's testimony. Do you think Mark's in heaven thinking, I really wish I wouldn't have bought that trailer for the missionaries? No. Not at all. It continues to bless. His story continues. Here I am this weekend telling the story to lots of people. His testimony continues. And I believe that God continues to reward Mark for his gospel generosity. So it continues to bless God. It continues to bless us. It continues to bless Vanuatu and it continues to shine the glory of God. And so we see in this how giving is so much better than receiving, and that's the point of what Jesus said. He got it exactly right. And uh, as a final reminder, don't forget the guy that said that gave his everything for us, okay? These weren't just simple words to Jesus or platitudes or like, you know, I'm gonna spiritually try to get you to do this, but I'm not gonna do it myself, no. He said the words, and then he gave his life for us. And so, because of that, we are forever glad that he did, and he is forever glad that he did too. Let's, let's be a generous church, filled with generous people, enriching others with lies of significance. Amen.